Um, if you can guess from the songs we sing this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 46, okay? All of them resounded um, from Psalm 46, one of them even entitled uh, Psalm 46. So we're going to be looking at the entire chapter. As I've mentioned in the past, quickly, the Psalms are um, the hymn book of the Old Testament or of the Bible. They're written in the form of poetry, so we read them in that way. There's a lot of allusions and metaphors to understand where the author is. Uh, These songs have been written uh, to sing in corporate worship, still are sung and have been sung for generations. Uh, uh, The type of psalm that we're looking at this morning, remember scholars have given these psalms different categories, and this is a psalm of confidence. So it's giving us confidence in God himself. The author, again, just like 84 last week, are the sons of Korah. Remember, the Korahites are, were Levites. They're descendants of Levi, which means they're serving in the temple. They're close to the presence of God all the time. Psalm 46 is known as Martin Luther's Psalm. One of the reasons it's called that is because of the song that we sung to start this morning. A mighty fortress was penned by Martin Luther himself based on Psalm 46. And one theologian talks about Luther in this way. He says this, It is said of Luther that there were times during the dark and dangerous periods of the Reformation when he was terribly discouraged and depressed. But at such times, he would turn to his friend and and co-worker Philip and say, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm together. That this psalm, Psalm 46, has been an encouragement to the people of God for generation upon generation to have confidence in who God is. So I would, my hope for us this morning is if we go to Psalm 46, that we would walk away from this place with more confidence in God than when we walked in. So let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 46. We're going to be looking at uh, the entire chapter. To the choir master of the sons of Korah. According to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you um, and ask for your presence here. We know that you have given us your Holy Spirit to enlighten our eyes and our minds and our hearts when we open your word. And Father, we pray that this morning, that God, that you would be here, present and moving with us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So when we lived in St. Louis, my girls were uh, younger. This was before they went to school, and they went to a preschool. They had preschool on Tuesdays and Thursdays at a Mother's Day out. And it was my responsibility to drop them off and pick them up. I would drop them off at 9 in the morning and pick them up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
And each Tuesday, we found out that Menchie's frozen yogurt, if you've never been there, you should good. There's one right here uh, in Westtown Marketplace, a little plug. We love frozen yogurt. So we would go on Tuesdays, every Tuesday after preschool to take them, and I would sit down, you know, they're three and four, four and five, around that age at this time, and I would try to talk to them about how their day was, and they would mostly just say, well, like, what was your favorite part? Oh, eating lunch. Like, yes, I know eating lunch is really fun. But we would talk, and we would converse, and they had this, uh, this thing where you could go and pay $5. Um, this is part of the reason I went by myself, not with my wife. You'd pay $5. If you know Menchie's, you have to pay per ounce, right? You, they weigh it, and it's like, if it's really big, like what I want to get, it's like 20 bucks, right? But it was $5 on this Tuesday to fill it as high as you wanted. So also when I do this kind of stuff, it's kind of embarrassed. So I would take them with the kids by myself. I'd fill this cup to the top, and we would share, share it, all three of us. We'd have a really good time together. So one day we're sitting there. And this little boy walks in with his dad, and he's about three years old. And he walks in, and he's just strutting his stuff. And he walks in, the first thing he says, Daddy, I want it as big as I want it. And I'm like, amen, I know what you're saying. And the dad was just like, okay, son, okay, let's go look. And he just said over and over and over again, I want it as big as I want it, over and over. I want it as big as I want it. And even at the age of three, we resonate with this boy, right? That he wanted some control of how much ice cream went in his cup. Poor guy, right? You know at three, you have no control over anything in your life. Like, you don't pick out your own clothes. Generally, you don't pick out what you eat. You don't pick out when you sleep, when you wake up, when you play. But for that moment, he wanted some control. I want it as big as I want it. And as we mature, all of us in the room, we have more control in our lives, right? Like I picked out, actually Allison picked out this shirt. So as you get married, some control goes away too. But generally I pick out the clothes I wear and the food that I eat and the schedule that I keep, right? But all of us in the room, there are much of our lives that are are completely out of our control. One of my favorite uh, pastors that I've listened to for a long time, preachers, Matt Chandler, said, Each one of us is just one phone call away from our life being completely shipwrecked. It takes one phone call for any of us in the room for our life to be in the pit. Today it could happen, right? That we are not in control as we often believe. So today, this psalm is helping us to see this truth, that we need to move our confidence away from ourselves and towards God because he is the one who has all things under control. That we are to have confidence in the God who is the one who created us because he is the one also who sustained us. So the theme and our outline is in the bulletin for you. The theme this morning is God controls our uncontrollable. And we're going to be looking at two different points. The shaking of confidence first in verses 1 through 7. And then the vindication of confidence in verses 8 through 11. So let's go ahead and look at the shaking of confidence in verses 1 through 7. We're actually going to start in verse 2. And verse 2 says this. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. If you remember, that this is a psalm of confidence. These first seven verses speak of two different instances in which our confidence can be shaken. In this first section, the psalmist speaks of the earth giving way and the mountains moving. It's most likely speaking of an earthquake. 
And I've lived in the Southwest my whole life. I've never been in an earthquake, but I was trying to read some this week to understand what it feels like. And I heard this quote. It says this. Once you have been in an earthquake, you know, even if you survive without a scratch, that like a stroke in the heart, it remains in the earth's breast. Horrible potential. Always promising to return, to hit you again with an even more devastating force. So in the psalm, the earth beneath them is shaking, and it makes the people realize, oh, I'm not in control at all. It's a force we cannot stop that will probably come back again without us being able to stop it. So the, the, the psalmist goes from that, and then he goes on and shows us how the, the, the force of water, even in itself in verse 3, is unstoppable. It's another aspect in life where we are out of control. One theologian says this about water in the Bible. He says, water, described as raging and foaming, is a common metaphor for chaos in the poetry of the Hebrew Bible and the ancient Near East. So he's saying, this is pure chaos. You have no control, and neither do I. But in verse 2, he begins this section right here where we are with this. We will not fear these things. Why are we not going to fear them? Let's look at verse 1 to start where he actually began. God is our refuge and our strength. Very present help in trouble. So there's two different aspects that we're seeing in God's character on display here in this one verse. First, he is our refuge and our strength. At times, he's saying that God shields us from what is going to hurt us, what is going to bring us down. He's keeping us out of harm's way. He's sparing us from heartache. Just like in Psalm 91, it says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. At some times, difficulty comes and goes without us knowing because God is sheltering us from it. He is our refuge and strength. But that's not all the time, right? Other times, if you're like me, we know that we will suffer. We will go through hurt, being heartbroken, in anguish. And in that, the second characteristic we see of God is that he is our very present help in trouble. So even when our very worst imaginable situation lands on our lap, God is there. When the chaos of life lands dead in the middle of our normal life that we're living, God, who is, he is personally involved in your life and in mine. He cares, he comforts, he brings rest and strength. James Boyce in his commentary says this, kind of illustrating our point. I seldom read these verses without thinking of Elizabeth Elliot. She suffered the loss of two husbands. The first, Jim Elliot, was killed by Aka Indians in Ecuador by trying to reach them with the gospel. The second, Addison Leach, was slowly consumed by cancer. In relating what these experiences were like, she referred to this psalm, saying that in the first shock of death, Everything that has seemed most dependable has been given way. Mountains are falling, the earth is reeling, and in such a time, it is profound to have this comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaken, you and me can know that God is not shaken. 
When devastation hits our lives, God's people, you and me today, can know that God is not shaken by that devastation. Our confidence can remain unshaken because God is still in control. That's what he's reminding the people. Even when the earth shakes beneath you, he still is in control. Let's go on, verses 4 through 6. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Remember, there's two situations where he's talking about the shaking of our faith. The first one was real general. It's saying if anything in your, happen, in your life happens where it brings devastation, the second one is actually speaking of very, a very specific part in redemptive history, that this is actually speaking of Jerusalem under attack, God's very dwelling under attack. The psalmist speaks of the city of God and the habitation of the Most High. These are both referring to the city of Jerusalem. And scholars have looked at this and tried to figure out timeline and try to figure out, they just know that the the city of Jerusalem was under attack. Some scholars say that it was the armies under the reign of Jehoshaphat. Other scholars believe that it was the armies under King Hezekiah. But either way, Jerusalem, the city where God's very presence was, was under attack. Under both those regimes, we see in biblical history, that the Lord conquered this mighty enemy that they were facing. And I don't think it's, uh, it's beneficial to know the history behind the psalm, but, but to make that the end is not what the psalmist is getting at, I think. I think the point here is not to see which enemy was conquered, but the one who conquered them. While the enemy was looming to devour the city of God, God brings calm to the chaos. His, he brings strength to their weakness. Remember in verse 3, we, the, the, the waters resembled chaos. Remember that? Now under God's control in this section, it brings security. It brings gladness for God's people. It's bringing protection for them. God changes the roaring threat of chaotic waters into the form of protection for his people. He is in control, even in control of the chaos of life. So when the psalmist speaks of this this instance in Jerusalem, it's difficult for any of us, for you and me, to read Psalm 46 without a broader application of God's protection for his people, right? That's probably where your mind is going. It's where mine went to. James Montgomery Boyce actually says that's, that's a fine thing. He says this, Yet no one can read this psalm prospectively without sensing that this earthly reference fails to exhaust its meaning. This is because the city of God, the theme of verses 4 through 6, is a major theme in the whole of Scripture and concerns not only the security of the earthly Jerusalem, but also the nature and safety of the people of God throughout all of history. So today we can look at Psalm 46 and see that God is looking down at his people and protecting us. That he is here present, watching over you and me, caring for us. Now, that doesn't mean destruction won't come, right? He did spare Jerusalem in that one time, but other times Jerusalem fell. But God was still present. That is the point of the psalm, that he is in control even when we feel like everything is out of control. Know that God is in your presence. He will never be moved. He will help you, when the psalm says, when the morning dawns. He alone is our defense and our security. 
he ends this section with this. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this word host is often connected with a military connotation. And it's appropriate to be using it here in Psalm 46 because the enemy is coming in through a military means, right? So when he's speaking of the Lord of hosts in this context, he's saying that God is the one who controls the armies of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who holds peace and security of his people in his hands. So know when the psalmist says he is the Lord of hosts. He is the God who can and will protect you in the end. He is the God who is active in your battle. He is the God who is in control when all things feel like they're out of control. I know in my own life from what the scripture tells me that there are times when God has sheltered me from my pain. He has been my refuge and my strength. You've seen car commercials lately, specifically these really new ones. A lot of them will have like a teenager behind the wheel, right? And the teenager's distracted. They're on their phone. They're not looking at the road. And the, they're about to get in an accident, and the car stops it. And then it flashes to a picture of the parent. And they're so happy. The car saved the child's life. He, he stopped it from hurting the child. I know from Scripture that God does something similar, right? There are tragedies that would have come my way, but they came and went without me even knowing. At the same time, I know for a fact that tragedy has hit my life. When my parents got divorced, I was going into my ninth grade year. It was very difficult. One of the hardest things I ever went through. My grandparents passing away. I had one pass away when I was young. Recently, have had some pass away. We've had health scares with our children that have just brought me to my knees, right? We know that tragedy hits. It's a part of living in a fallen world. The psalm's not telling us that this is not going to happen. But when it does happen, he should be our confidence. We should turn to him because he is there, our very help, it says. He is the Lord of hosts who is fully in control. So if you're a believer in the room, This is a reminder for us, right? That God is present in your suffering. He's not idle. He's not sitting back and just watching it happen. He's there with you in the midst of it. He's active. He's willing and able to help. He cares about you. He's a personal God who wants you to seek Him in your distress. He wants you to find your help in Him and Him alone. So in your pain, in your anxiety, in your depression, in your worry, in your failure, whatever is going on that's taking you down to the pit, God says, turn to me. Chuck has always said, run to Jesus. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Turn to me, for I am your true confidence. Now, if you're not a believer in the room, you're other than Christian, maybe you're here unsure about this Christian stuff, watching online maybe, I want to thank you for coming. I know coming into a space like this, hearing a message like this, could be foreign, could be something you don't care about. At the same time, I'd ask you to think about your own life for a moment. When the earthquake hits your life, where do you turn? What will will hold you together when the earth beneath you is shaking? All of us in the room understand that, that that we think we can take care of ourselves most of the time but then a tragedy comes and we start grasping onto things 
I need help. The New Testament writers speak of this word gospel, right? The, the Greek translation, if you go to a dictionary, you, it could either be translated gospel or good news. That there is a good news of the Bible, that the God who cares about you is the same God who created you. And he cares about you so much that he sent his own son to die on your behalf that you could never, ever fall out of his hands. And believe it or not, he wants what is best for you and me. Oftentimes, when I want something out of God's will, I think this is best. The truth is, he knows what's best. I don't. He wants what's best for us. He wants to bring us joy. He doesn't want to squash our fun. He wants to bring us joy, bring us comfort, bring us renewal. So I would encourage all of us in the room. Believer, if you're other than Christian, look at your own life. Remember, there is a God who is in control of everything. You're not bothering him when you turn to him. He wants you to do that. Okay, let's lastly look at the vindication of confidence in verses 8 through 11. Look at me with verse, uh, at verse 8. It says this, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So this last stanza begins by God, calling God's people to gaze upon the works of God. He's saying, behold, look for yourself. Gaze upon all the Lord has done. Well, that our confidence can be shaken in this circumstance or that circumstance, the psalmist here is calling God's people to take a step back, to look at God himself and see that we can have confidence in him. Look at all he has done. The, the psalm says, Wars have ceased by the very hand of God breaking the bow of your enemy, cutting through their spear, burning their chariots. You think there is any enemy in your life, any force that God can't beat? Anything that is out of his control? Saying, people of God, look what he has done. God is your warrior king. He is unbeatable. He is unshakable, always in control. He brings peace where there is war, protecting his people. Spurgeon says this, Our eyes were given to us for this very purpose. Not for beholding of vanity, not for the ensnaring or wounding of the soul, but for the use and honor of our Creator. Psalmist concludes this section in, in verses 10 through 11, and he says this Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So some scholars say about this portion of the text that it has um, a prophetic tone, that it's speaking about a, a date that is further than what has happened. Yes, God would deliver Jerusalem from their enemy, but that is just a foretaste of God's deliverance that would come. And when the psalmist says, be still and know, when I read it earlier, I was actually trying, trying to, when the first time I read it, I was trying in my mind not to quiet my voice, but all of us. If I read that even on the page, if you're reading Psalm 46 to your house, you probably say, be still and know. We think about this idea of like taking a step back and being real quiet. But he's not inviting God's people to a tranquil meditation upon God. The language is actually very explosive. He's saying, stop, stop and look. Look at the Lord for who he is. 
This deliverance that we had in Jerusalem, it's just a foretaste of what Jesus will bring. While the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from their enemy, the same God would send his son, Jesus Christ, to deliver his people from their ultimate enemy, sin, death, and the devil. Jesus would come and be his people's refuge and strength. In their sin, Jesus would become the very help in trouble the people needed. Jesus would conquer their sin once and for all by taking on flesh, sinless, being beaten, dying an undeserved death, and conquering death through his resurrection. Jesus is the Lord of hosts who wields the power of heaven and earth for the forgiveness of your sin. He laid his life down, the Lord of hosts, so you and me could be forgiven. Jesus brings peace to our war-filled life. He brings victory and peace to a battle we never could have won. While distress will come, and God is the one who is always in control, all of us will still face some sort of distress. I bet in the coming week, in the coming month, in the coming year. But what Jesus has done for his people is for eternity. There is nothing that can shake that. Nothing that can take away your forgiveness if you are in Jesus. In Jesus himself, his, his battle was against sin and death, not mere things that we go through in our life day to day. Jesus turned the page in redemptive history. He began the renewal of all things, the restoration of all creation. And this psalmist calls us, God's people, to behold, be still, stop. See God for who he is. He is the redeeming God who brings renewal for his people through his very son. There are other scholars who believe that this psalm has implications for the end times, that it has an eschatological tone. You can even apply it in some way. Jesus has promised you and me that he will return again. It was turning the page in redemptive history when he died and beat death. He began a new chapter and he has promised us that he will come again. And upon his second coming, he will make all things new. His people will dwell with him for all eternity. And verse 10, he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. There is a day coming when Jesus will return, when his creation will be renewed by the power of his hand, when every tongue and every tribe will exalt Jesus Christ. There will be no missing the glory of Jesus on this day. So church, for you and me, let us behold this truth of this God who has saved us, this God who has everything in control. Let us see the powerful works of God and our confidence to be in Jesus, not in ourselves. Let us pray together. Father, we are often weak and believe that we have control over all of our lives. Father, if we have seen anything this morning from the illustrations you have given us through Psalm 46, we know that we don't have control when the earth shakes, when the waters roar, when an enemy is coming. But Father, you do. Father, we pray that we would turn our confidence not to our own abilities, our strength, our knowledge, our wisdom, our reputation, whatever it may be, God, but our confidence would be in you and you alone. God, we thank you for your word, and God, we thank you for the time we get to celebrate the breaking of bread as we're about to at your table.
Be with us now. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.